You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Live Different Podcast listeners, are you ready for an episode with the co-founder of Couchsurfing, Casey Fenton? I am really excited that this episode is coming out because he was not an easy man to track down. We met in Spain at a conference and I am glad we were able to keep in touch that he was open to coming on the podcast. It took some hustle to get him on the show and he was a fantastic guest, did not disappoint. We shared some really cool things in common. Our first trip was to Iceland, his first trip and my first trip. No, we did not go together on these trips, but the trips that inspired us to start our own respective companies came in the country of Iceland. So this was a lot of fun. I'm honored and humbled to have him on. And I'm really, really grateful for you guys who have given me feedback at Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. People just sending me direct messages. I love to engage with you guys. I love your feedback. I really appreciate it, especially as I am preparing to finish the Millennial Travel Guidebook, my first book designed to help you get out, travel more, travel better, stay safe, all of those really important things, all the travel hacks that I can come up with, all of the first-time traveler questions. You know, I'm just pouring everything that I know now over the last seven years traveling into this book. So get ready for that. Would love to hear from you. Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. Sit back, get ready for a great show. I'm pumped to have on Casey Fenton. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today I have the honor of speaking with none other than Casey Fenton. Casey is the founder of Couchsurfing as well as Upstock, and he was just explaining to me how the goal of Upstock is to bring Fortune 1000 equity to everyone, to much smaller companies. I just watched this TEDx talk on how to live a thousand lives. And Mm -hmm. I think Freedom X Fest in the Pyrenees of Spain deserves a nice shout out because that is where we met, where I saw his presentation on ego hacking. So without further ado, Casey, welcome. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate you having having me on the show. Uh, It was nice to meet you um, in the Pyrenees, of course. And uh, what is so exciting to me about your show is about just personal development. I love personal development more than anything in my life. I'm obsessed with it. Uh, I want to, it's one of the things that I always try to, my companies always have to do with some form of, you know, improving yourself um, uh, of the individual or improving the, the group, the group cohesion. So yeah, so it's exciting to be on your your podcast. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, we were chatting beforehand, well, about a whole bunch of stuff, but Also, just that, well, you you mentioned personal development has always been a big theme in your life, and we both have stories that have to do with Iceland that ended up being kind of the impetus for both of us starting our our business and and travel businesses at that. So I would love if you'd take me back to Iceland. Sure. All right. So we're going way back. We're going way back to the year 2000. Wow. Uh, Yeah. I was 15 years old, Casey. I know. I, I was I was like 20 then. You know, now I'm an old geezer, 40 years old, feel like a granddaddy <laughs> of the internet. 
Anyway, there we are back in, back in working out of um, one of my first startups. And we were, I was working in New Hampshire and I got a cheap ticket to Iceland. I had the idea for, for this, this idea for couch surfing, but I had never tried it. So I thought I'd, I wanted to do a minimal viable product, the MVP, right? As it's known. So I thought I could go stay with somebody on a couch in Iceland. It's so expensive there anyway. And maybe they, somebody would host me. I emailed a few random people online, no response, crickets. Then I stumbled across the University of Iceland student directory in which you could type a name if you knew the name of a student and get their email address. So uh-huh. I, I probably typed the only Icelandic name I knew, Bjork. So I typed Bjork in and up came some Bjork Stevens daughters and Jacob's daughters and whatever. The last name is the first name of the dad. So I said, oh, okay, I see how it works here. Interesting. It's a little interesting cultural thing. So I just started typing in different names that I would encounter there and like take the last name and put it into the first name. And then I get more and more and more. 1,500 names and email address extracted, put in a database. And I wrote a mail merge uh, in PHP to email them all, spam them all. Hey, can I stay on your couch? And basically what I sent them was my couch driving profile. You know, here's Casey. I'm Casey. Here's a picture of me. Here's my website. Here's my personal philosophy. Can I stay with you? What would we do if I did? Thanks, Bjorn. Uh, Casey, send. You know, about 10 minutes later, Boom, everybody's spammed. And not 24 hours later, between 50 and 100 people saying, yeah, sure, come stay on my couch. We'll drink vodka under the stars at my grandfather's remote house or something. Okay. And now I had the opposite problem. Who do I stay with? And so I had to make a decision. I went and stayed with some really cool people. I was super shy, though. So it was really hard hanging out with these people that seemed so cool. And I was just not so cool. So I just followed them around quietly and took notes, so to speak. And I got in the plane thinking, I, this is how I want to travel every time. And, and so now I'm even launching my new company in Iceland. So I love Iceland. It's one of my places in the world near and dear to me. And I think last year I went there like four times. I'm going to go there again next week. Wow. Love Iceland. That's great. And you're starting, uh, we might jump around chronologically, but you're starting your new company in Iceland. I, I know a lot of people over there in the Icelandic startup scene. Yeah. Are, are you partnered with anybody or have investors over there by any chance? Yes, I do. I have a couple of investors, maybe run some of the airlines there, let's say. And uh, some of the folks that are just really, they're really good people. They have been involved in banking there for a long time. Also, I'm going to be mentoring Icelandic startups. Uh, they're they're Tourism, startup tourism, rather. And I know Ingi, if you know Ingi, he's a great guy. I love that guy so much. Uh, He's he's actually the one that got me to go back recently. I was speaking there about a little less than a year ago. And I just keep going back now because of investors, because KPMG, we're partnered with KPMG there now. They've converted our documents, our legal documents, into Icelandic form. So it's, yeah, we're ready to go there. It's one of the first countries outside of the US that we've been launching to launch it to get the documents done. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Ingi, yeah, I think, well, there are several, <laughs> Iceland is a small place. Everybody has the same name. Yeah. The guys who name uh, whose name pops out to, uh, in my head first, because it's one of those repeated names, Christian Christensen. I'm thinking about Ingi Sigurdsson, Ingi Bjorn Sigurdsson. He started like a Craigslist of, uh, of Iceland. Is that correct? Uh, well, a lot of my friends know him. I always hang out with him when I go there. He re- basically um, works with Startup Iceland, and ev- just everybody knows him. Okay, as a startup guy. So and Bala, he's an he's an Indian uh, Bala, Bala, Indian American. Yeah, Bala times. Yeah, cool. That's yep. really funny. Yeah, I should check our our mutual friends on on Facebook. 
My girlfriend just got, got to hang out with Bala again. It, it's a slush. So Bala, he's everywhere. It's always good to see, hang out with him. I love his smile. Yeah, he, he's a really nice guy. So Bala actually was one of the guys who I met on my very first trip to Iceland and convinced me to come back. We ended up partnering uh, for the Startup Iceland conference, and I brought a bunch of the speakers and the entrepreneurs on our very first trip with under 30 experiences. So that's really funny. Cool to see it come full circle, but let's go back in time. Uh, first of all, I've heard some details of this story. Maybe it was Wikipedia. I don't know where I, I, I read, but there were models and R&B singers in, uh, potentially involved in your first trip to Iceland. That's right. Yeah. So my host, who I agreed to go stay with, she seems super cool. She was like uh, an R&B singer. Everybody knew her. And she opened for the Fugees. And I thought uh, this would be a very interesting person to hang out with. And she seemed so friendly. She seemed like she would introduce me to a lot of people. And it seemed like it was outside of my comfort zone as well, which was part of what kind of couch is about. I would normally want to hang out with introverted people and talk about computers or something. So I was like, this is going to be so difficult for me, but I want to try out what it's like to stay with somebody totally different. So uh, I got to stay with her and follow her friends around. They were all models. And of course, that was very intimidating for me. So I just, uh, I was very quiet. But we got to, we had all these adventures. We kind of stuck onto the U.S. military base because they really wanted to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, for instance. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's just really, really weird, weird things that I, that I would take for granted. I think are stupid. I'm vegetarian anyway, but <laughs> they love. So I was like, great, we'll do what you want. So, Wow. Okay. That's really funny. So then you had your, uh, your MVP, your minimum viable product, or yeah. at least you had your proof of concept there that, yeah, people will open their doors for me. Yes, yeah, 7% of people say yes when I email them randomly as a stranger with the right profile and say, come stay on my couch. And there you have it. So you built a website. How did you pick the name? Couchsurfing. Yeah, give me some of the early details. I think sure. that would be interesting. I came up with the word couchsurfing. It was like it had been said before. There's a brand van song about couchsurfing a little bit. So it was very, very little bit known, but not really in common parlance or common vernacular. And so I just, I heard that word and I, and I already knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I'm like, that's it. That is what we're talking about. It's, it just sounds, sounds great. It sounds controversial too. You're staying on someone's couch. I mean, it could have been like, you know, extra rooming or something. And that sounds nicer and sounds easier, but it's really about this, this lifestyle. And so controversy really helped couchsurfing take off. What? You're staying on a stranger's couch? Well, what do I think about that? I don't know, but I need to write about it every year for the next three years in this newspaper, right? Sure. It helps spread the word. It helped people want to talk about it and share it and be like, because it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like you could, it's a verb. It's a, you could be like an adjective. It could be like, I'm couch surfing. I'm a couch surfer. It's just, it, you can use the word in, in it, and it starts to stitch its way into the, the, your language. So when you're starting a company, it's good to think about how could this word be used? Can I be a blanker? Sure. Or can I blank as an activity? In some words, that you, when you can do that, they're really good words to use. Excellent. Okay. That's really cool. And uh, so this seemed like it really got you out of your comfort zone. Of course, this one experience, but then did you personally catch the travel bug, as they say, and decide that you wanted to travel like this oh, all yeah. of the time? Even before that. Okay. So like I... I was 
you know, I always loved the idea of traveling and I did a little bit in high school. One time I ran away from home with my girlfriend and whatever, we drove to Tennessee and stuff like that. So that was, that was interesting. Mostly, but it's what's funny is we took our homework with us because we were going to mail it back, right? So stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, we just always had the travel bug, always wanted to explore, always an explorer. And me and that girlfriend, we broke up and uh, it was a really hard breakup and I was super sad. I was crying for months about it. And I realized that just, I just started to buy plane tickets to random places and it just travel started to mend my broken heart. Additionally, I was grew up in a small town of a thousand people and I started studying the uh, classic philosophers, uh, Hume, Descartes, Kant, and so on. And I started thinking about free will. I started thinking, wait, there's a good chance I don't have free will, or at least I don't have free will over everything. Maybe there's like exceptions, but a lot of the things I'm kind of born into some flow, some river that's moving. And it's hard to just decide. I can't decide, oh, I'm going to just go over there. I don't even know where there is. What, what, what over there? Over where? I don't even know what I don't know. I, my whole life is a blind spot. I just, I saw this when I was 15. So I said, I need to illuminate. I need to strike matches in a dark room and start to start to see what, what is this room like? And so I came up with this idea of intensity, diversity, and frequency of experience. Like how intense is the experience? How diverse is it? And how often is it happening? And then I could optimize my experiences and through that lens. It's kind of a little scientific method. And that worked out well for me. And it really, and then also not necessarily believing that free will is just a given made me think, well, if I have to hack that, how do I hack that? Which turns into like this whole idea about hacking destiny. So that was very early on, lots of traveling. And then I knew that I wanted to do something like couchsurfing. And then it was, but I'd already been traveling. I already traveled to Egypt. I'd already climbed the pyramids because of local people helping me. I had all these crazy experiences because of locals. So I knew that it was about staying with locals, staying in a hotel, just it's boring. I felt like a ghost. So you really started to get out of your comfort zone, uh, of course. And this is something that we always encourage our listeners to do, our travelers at under 30 experiences, et cetera. Uh, And everybody kind of understands the concept there. And so I'm curious what you learned about yourself as you continued to use your little algorithm there, your your metrics, yeah. what you started to learn about yourself? Oh, wow. Good question. So I started to learn that I could be less shy. I was one of the shyest people I knew. And by practicing with, every time I'd stay with somebody new, I could practice being a new version of myself. I could practice being maybe a little more outgoing, trying a different joke out, whatever, anything. And as I would start to get better at it, I start to get more practice. I started to become kind of cool. Like I look at myself like, I'm kind of cool (laughs) a little bit. I think you're cool, Casey. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I started to think like, maybe people do like me. Maybe like the idea of walking up to somebody on the street and talking to them, like used to seem like the scariest. I mean, like what license do I have? I'm probably interrupting them. I don't want to interrupt their day. I mean, who am I? Then to think actually people do want to meet other people. And they, that you're, I'm giving them an opportunity to meet someone and maybe learn something. I mean, the worst they say is no. Okay, I'll go away now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you were maybe able to meet people online where then you had some permission to be able to hang out with them. Couchsurfing provided a big amount of permission. It was like an opt-in. So I knew that people wanted to meet and hang out. So that was good. Other things that I learned about, I worked in politics right when I was working in Couchsurfing. And I used to think that the world is like kind of like computer code. Uh, it's just all a bunch of gears turning and it just, 
there's certain rules and laws and that's it. But working in, in the state legislature, I learned that it's people and their preferences. It's really, that's all it is. People, people open doors, doors can be kind of virtual or can be, you know, they're not real doors or they're literally real doors. And they, they decide whether they like you or not to open the door. So that was just kind of blew my mind. I'm like, wow, it's, it's not so much about learning the, what's right about the world or the right way of thinking. It's about learning how to connect with other people. It's about learning about appreciation of diversity. It's about learning how to ha- have multiple conflicting ideas in my mind at the same time and not have to make one be right. That was a big revelation for me. So kind of diversity mindset so that I can connect with other people and appreciate really what they're saying. But even if I, my experience in life hasn't said that that's the way it is, that's fine. They have a different perspective. Let's appreciate that. So that was really, really big lesson for me. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Where else did you travel? And uh, maybe could you give us some examples of how you learned about, maybe it was a culture entirely different than yours, but maybe you had some commonalities. Yeah, tell me more about your travels. Sure. Uh, I think it was probably allowed me to travel longer when I was couch surfing because instead of, you you don't have to pay as much to stay somewhere so you can travel longer, you don't deplete your bank account. And then you're staying with other people and they're a lot, they're way more different than you are. And it's much easier to accept somebody when they're different. In some ways, the more different they are, the more you can accept them. It's different than somebody who's kind of similar to you, the more it's the easier it is to judge them, to judge the minutia of your differences. Interesting. Right? It's, just, it's not always like that. And certain types of differences can be easier to judge. But generally, especially for people that see themselves as open-minded, the more different they are, they're like, oh, it's, it's like I'm reading National Geographic and look at those people. They're so different. And isn't that cute? Uh, it's not real. You're not emotionally invested in those people. But the people that are so close to you, you're emotionally invested in, that's where the, some of the hardest and most challenging acceptance comes in. So seeing the differences where I'd go and be so watching myself be like, oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that great that those people have those differences? But then watching myself struggle with the people at home that I have day-to-day relationships with, it really struck me. I thought, huh, why am I judging these people so harshly. And so I remember walking on a beach, Northern California by myself. And it was a, it was a powerful, it was just a really intense, intense sunny day and the big surf, big waves coming in. And I saw these little sandpipers and they were scurrying in the waves, as as you see, when you walk on a beach. And I thought those sandpipers are going to die. They are, the waves are just crushing in. And some were like right on the edge of the wave, they scurry back and back and forth. And I started watching them and I realized some are staying close to the wave and some are staying far away from the wave and they're staying in their spot, right? They're not swirling around. They're staying in their spot a bit more. And I thought, hmm, that kind of looks like a bell curve. That kind of looks like a lot like there's some kind of genetic dispersion or something. And I'm like, wait a second. I mean, I mean, of course that makes sense. You might, you know, through genetics, you're going to have some birds that are a little more adventurous, maybe getting mm-hmm. some extra little tidbits of food in the, in the waves, but they might die. But then you have those other ones that are holding back, hanging back, like, and then they're all saying, this is the right place to be. I feel it in my bones. You other idiotic birds, you're so stupid. I can't believe you're over there near the wave. That's a dumb, dumb place to be. Or the other one in the wave is like, this is a great place to be. I'm traveling. I'm seeing great things. And you're stupid over there just in your home hanging out. And so the, 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 this diversity of uh, species maximizes survival and thriving. And I thought, oh, my God, I've done my whole life. I've been kind of my whole life judging people, thinking my place is like, that's the right place, clearly, as I should, because that's what we need for survival. But I started to soften my heart a little bit and have more compassion for all the different ways 
of thinking and being in the world. And it really gave me that diversity mindset instead of just going around judging people all the time. That's great. I wish those little sandpipers would be more kind to the, you know, the pelicans who have a different way of living. You know, don't judge them, dude. It create a more sustainable beach. That would be nice. Right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah the beach would be a more inclusive place. Yeah, place, totally. Absolutely. Interesting. And, and so, okay, so you started to learn more things about your yourself. You're obviously a very deep thinker. Uh, you you've read some. Right. Yeah, you you've read some Dead philosophy. Yeah. 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 And then you started. I mean, what? brought you down the path of trying to hack your ego, which seems right. like is is really your your main focus now, or at least helping other people do that. Cool. That's a cool question. So it was, I mean, it was a lot of things. I mean, it was trials and tribulations and struggles and failures and successes and people treating me in a certain way I didn't like, and then wondering what the hell is going on. And then reading a, lot, a book called In Search of the Miraculous by P.D. Spensky. It was about Gurdjieff. Uh, you know, about a hundred years ago or so, and and in this this idea of he's a mystic. He went around to all the mystic schools and brought back a bunch of the ideas and taught taught it in um, Russia, and Europe, and then eventually the U.S. But one of his teachings that really just stood out was this idea of remembering yourself that we're going through life asleep, we're not aware of ourselves. So that really just made me suddenly like notice my existence. I felt like before that I was just going through life not really noticing. So I really got into trying to understand myself and how I interact with other people. And then I got into kind of early on, I got into a tit for tat downward spiral competition with one of my best friends. That was really hard. It caused fallout in our relationship and I never really understood why. And I was always wondering how to see that. And then later on I was with somebody I was working with. And of course, again, tit for tat, this downward spiral of like, I'm right, I'm right, you're right, who's right, right? And we see this every day in our lives. And then I started, I worked on a company called Wonder, a 360 feedback on life's most important questions. Average and anonymous, you can discover what other people feel about you. So I really started to think about giving feedback and I started studying positive psychology. And then in positive psychology, they have this idea that there's a feedback ratio, like there's positive and negative in, inputs in our life. And with this feedback ratio, we sense whether we're okay or whether life is okay or good. And if we have a one-to-one feedback ratio, one positive, one negative, Life feels horrible. We want to get, we're depressed. We want to take action. We want you know, drugs and alcohol to cover it up. We might want to make a story about how it's not me, it's you, or just avoid. And so that one to one, John Gottman studied that over thousands of couples over many, many years, a 95% chance of divorce within a year. So I started thinking, oh my God, it's this feedback ratio thing. So that really started getting me on this, like researching everything I could on ego and identity what's going on. And, and I started hearing about this, this ego ledger where we're constantly like everywhere we go in life, we're just adding up the positive and the negative, And then that's how we feel about it. And I started thinking about how it's so weird how we identify with things that are outside of us. Like if I said to you, I like you, you know, you, you remember that if I, but if I said, I don't like your microphone right there, that's a horrible microphone. That's what, what a stupid, what, what a stupid microphone. If you own that microphone, you might think I'm saying that about you. You might be thinking, I just said you are a bad person, but I didn't. I just said something about the microphone, something you've identified with. So somewhere along the line, we started doing external identification. I thought, that's really weird and interesting and cool. And I started thinking, wow, it seems like modern society is built on this external identification. If we didn't have that feature as part of who we are in our, in our genetics, we wouldn't have modern society. 
would exist. I thought that's a feature for the sandpipers, for the species. That's a feature. For us, though, it sucks because it feels like a bug because we get tormented when somebody says they don't like something. And then we think of ego as a bad thing. But really, ego is this great thing. Anyway, we could go into ego hacking. This is just a kind of the tinges. This is how I started to really get into this kind of thought. And then I had a few breakthrough thoughts that I hadn't seen out there. And then trying it out with my friends, and it made such a big difference in our lives. It just blew me away. This information needs to be out there. People need to have this information. To Maybe it can help. Wow, Casey. So there, there's so many interesting things that we could unpack from what you just said. So I could add, I, let me add one thing. If people want to follow along, they could go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash ego hack. Bit.ly slash ego hack, B-I-T dot L-Y. And there they can see my deck that I, slide deck that I do and I talk around the world for last year and they can kind of follow along with some of the things we're saying or just check it out in their own. Okay, excellent. And I'm going to link this up uh, both on under30ceo.com, our blog for entrepreneurs and under30experiences.com, our uh, blog for travelers. So whatever your interest is, if you're listening, either one of those places uh, will have this material and we'll try to link up some of the books that you've referenced and and stuff like that in in the show notes. Uh, Casey, I wanted to ask you about, you may have heard people and mystics or philosophers rather saying uh, that the ego is kind of your roadmap for going throughout the world uh, here on this physical plane. And there is certainly a use for that feature, as you kind of said in programmer speak, that I have attachment and identity with this microphone that you're making fun of. And yeah, it's a great microphone, by the way. Yeah, it's, uh, like, it's pretty spiffy. You make fun of my microphone, though, and, and I feel bad about it. Right, but I actually like that microphone. I was just making up uh, fake criticisms. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. But why could you tell people why we have that attachment or why yeah. maybe speculate on why that is an important part of life? Because if we walk around just egoless, uh, we're going to lose our roadmap, don't you think? I think so. I think a life without ego is a boring life, in fact. Like you consider the alternative, like I think there's a lot of uh, traditions that are trying to, uh, you know, non-attachment and all that. I think, I mean, that if you don't want to suffer at all and you want to have a life of perfect, great. Just try to not suffer. If you want to have a life of interesting and meaning, please do suffer. I think suffering is the great thing in life. It's the real thing that makes us human. The, the difference between the ups and the downs is the meaning. So I read a great book called The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. And it was about a singularity, uh, post, post-technology simulation kind of book in where a computer could teleport matter anywhere in the world. And it, it was just here to help us humans. Now uh, you want your own Jerusalem? Great. We'll make you a copy of it. Whatever you want. doesn't matter. You can't die. So it, it just really dumbed, dumbed down. the. What are we trying to do as humans? We're trying to rearrange matter around us to survive and do thrive and do whatever we want. So now it's like, great. We can do that at any level. If everything's teleported any second, whatever you want, done. Can't die. So what do you do then? You have no meaning. People start playing these death games and do just weird stuff to pass their time. And it just showed me like, wow, the benefit of humanness is the struggle. That's what being human is. So every time after I read that book, every time I'd be struggling, something sucks, I'd be like, I'm getting my money's worth. I'd kind of be smiling to myself. I'm getting my money's worth. Right? Don't forget that. So it kind of gave me kind of some compassion for myself and other people. But then also... The same it's a struggle is this beautiful thing, but you get getting back to your question about the ego. If we didn't have the ego, 
attaching us to random shit, right? I mean, the ego basically, where did it come from, right? Where did it come from? I think that let's say millions of years ago, we probably at some point started to keep track of like what things were positive, you know, what things are negative. Like, oh, over there, some food is positive. This person I'm talking to right here, uh, Matt, he's giving me some smiles. Uh, that's positive, right? Uh, over there, I talked to the guy down the street and he was yelling about a trash can. Um, I don't know, bad over there. Let's, that's bad. Right? <laughs> then at some point, it got a little more complex. Somewhere along the line, there was some weird mutation maybe where I started to not only just a catalog and identify, okay, that's good or that's bad, probably still had the feedback ratio of go more towards the things that are good and away from the things that are bad. But then we started to cross-link external objects. You have a feather. I'm like, oh, I really like this feather. It's really beautiful. And somebody comes up and is like, ooh, feather bad. And you're like, eh, you just said I'm bad. Somewhere along the line that happened, it seems like. Sure. So I think that's where it comes from. And the benefit to society or to humans, is that it causes diversity. You don't like my feather? I'm going to go away from here. I mean, normally I just move around for basic needs, like you know, food, shelter, air, water, whatever. Maybe then we got to see more, more mammalian human needs that were like uh, human connection, right? We have those basic needs. But then suddenly, instead of being just human connections, which is kind of software-based, uh, it's a bit harder-based because you have to have that human connection, you have to have that touch now suddenly we have a new need called identity or you know, just feeling good about yourself. If you add up all the things that you identify with and you're feeling good about them, you have a good, a good ego, good ego feeling, you know, positive ego, right? If you're feeling bad about them, that's negative. And you can do that in any context. You can say, okay, at my school, I feel good. And at work, I feel bad. So you can do it in context too. And so this is uh, what causes diversity. You just told me you don't like the kind of house I have. Well, I'm leaving. I'm going to cross the land bridge and go to North America. See ya, right? So you have people moving and scattering around and interacting for really weird reasons, like random, anything, software-based. It's not no longer does the food exist. It's you said some, you communicated to me some symbols and I'm leaving or I'm going to kill you or whatever. So diversity is a great strategy for survival, as we know. The more diversity you have, the more strategies for survival you try. Modern society built on diversity, built on trying different permutations. That's where it comes from, and my my take. Okay, that's really interesting. And of course, so much stress and so much suffering comes because of our attachment and identification with things outside of ourselves and yeah. that we can't quite recognize or say, oh, wait a second, it's it's just a microphone, dude. Don't, don't get so upset about it. But we kind of have this right. mammalian reflex somewhere. By the way, I love the quality that the telephone booth you're in with the boards and the angles. I like the way you set up the camera. Oh, thank you. That's a great, you did a great job there. I really like it. I, I like the way you're smiling right now. Thank you. I'm happy that you're reinforcing the positivity to get that ratio back in the favor. I mean, in the number of positive or negative things about anybody. So it's the ratio, stupid, right? As I like to say, it's like we get in these tit for tat downward spirals all the time. The stupid example I like to give is like, you know, you've got roommates, you've got a partner, whatever. The roommate's like, you didn't take out the trash last night. And you're, what, how are you going to respond, right? If your ratio is low, well, it's physical pain when your ratio is low, it's straight into your amygdala. And your amygdala feels pain. And if this person says you didn't take out the trash, it's going to make, going to make it lower. It's going to make your feedback ratio get lower. Your ego debt get lower. It's going to feel bad. So what do you do in that case? Huh, you didn't buy the trash bags. 
it's your fault. And I'm like, well, you bounced a check last week. It's not my, you know, it goes around and around, whatever, it's stupid. But if you have a high enough feedback ratio, if, if you're above two to one, if you're like somewhere in the four to one range, you know, you have what's known as ego banking. And you can hear people accurately, whatever they're saying. So, hey, honey, you need to take out the trash. I'll say, oh, <laughs> it's totally space I What an idiot. You know, it doesn't matter. You've got a high enough feedback ratio. So the key, the trick, the hack is you can say an infinite number of positive or negative things about anybody. And all the time, whenever you notice something you appreciate, really reinforce that. Anything that's good, anything you think that they want, uh, maybe check in with them if you're not sure. Reinforce that. Thank you. That's really great that you're you're thinking that. I really appreciate you giving me that positive feedback. Thank you so much. You can do the thanks for thanking. So you reinforce, you can build up that positive banking so that when you need to say, uh, the trash isn't out, no problem. It's, it's easy. It's not like a World War Three. Sure. And the good old, excuse me, but shit sandwich, sandwich. comes yeah. yeah, comes to mind. And if people haven't heard about it, you give a compliment, then you tell the person that, piece of uh, negative feedback that you needed to give. And then you try to compliment that at the end, perhaps that ratio isn't strong enough. What do you think? Uh, I 100% agree. There's a reason why that wisdom exists. We laugh about it, but it's true. We are biologically programmed to go toward the things that make us feel good and away from the things that make us feel bad. If the ratio is too weird, we get depressed and make a change. Hopefully that's a healthy thing to do. If, if you're too low, you get depressed and make a change. Or what people do that's unhealthy is they create a story. Oh, it's not me, it's you. You, you rationalize a story. But the problem with creating stories is if they're not in keeping with what everybody else is experiencing or reality, let's say, you have reality debt. The more reality debt you have, you probably know people like this. You've experienced people with too much reality debt. They go around and people are just like looking at them like, what planet are you on? And people are like, ah, nice, yes, uh, just go along with what you're saying, but let me get out of here. Too much reality debt is dangerous. You have, may have a day of reckoning and you can't see it because as the more it happens, the more people just avoid you. And it just it becomes this really weird, weird hall of mirrors. Yeah, I can totally uh, imagine. And, and actually... I think we all know somebody, somebody out there who just is not quite in touch with reality or whatever. Yeah. You try to reason with this person. Maybe it's maybe it's someone you're in a relationship with. Maybe it's someone at work or probably a family member that yeah. uh, you know the holidays just passed. Well, you had to deal with them over the holidays, or you see them when you go home. How do you suggest dealing with that person? Because sometimes sure. there's no reasoning. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. But what you're saying doesn't matter. Like your, your rationale is irrelevant. Uh, basically, this person may have low feedback ratio. They may have ego debt. And so their biology, they're, they're literally, they're having pain right now because of this ego debt. So if you're like, hey, let me rationalize with you. That basically sounds like, let me tell you why you're wrong. Don't you see the logic in my argument? Aren't, mm -hmm. don't, you, don't you get it? And that person is suffering on two levels. They're, gonna, they're, they're really suffering at the emotional level. Because the feedback ratio exists in the emotions. So what, what you can do in that case is use emotional feedback and tell them what you care about, what you love, what you appreciate. Oh, I'm really so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being here today. I can see that you really care about this work, this company, our relationship. I'm really thankful to spend time with you. I'm a little bit nervous because it's, it's, uh, I want to be vulnerable with you, but I'm a little bit nervous about that, uh, to be honest. you know, uh, Whatever is real and whatever can make them feel at ease emotionally. You want to use more emotional tonality, like emotional, like look on your face. The tone of your voice goes up and down, not like 
monotonous. I'm really glad you're here today. Thank <laughs> you very much for being here today. No, it doesn't work. That, that would be your neocortex communicating with their neocortex. And you can see it in this, this deck a little bit. These are multiple brains that are thinking completely separately, but they kind of interact a little bit. But if that ratio is low and you're using your intellect to try to reason with them, you're reasoning with their rational brain. But the rational brain, then you're, you're expecting the rational brain to talk to their emotions and say, oh, okay, here it is, emotions. But that doesn't work. We know this. It doesn't work. You need to connect directly with the emotional brain. But if the emotional brain has a feedback ratio that's too low, it's in pain. So it's not going to hear anything you're saying. It's going to completely just be like, no, no, <laughs> right? So sure. if you say, oh my God, I love this and I love that, I love this, the things you truly and authentically appreciate, and then you're like, hey, I really want to talk about this other thing. It's been a challenge for me. Watch what happens. People open up and hear you. That's the number, that's the way in my experience and way to reach people. Okay. And how about if you're a manager, uh, Casey, from your experience as a leader, as an entrepreneur, sure. as a, a CEO at times, I'll tell you that I know that my job is to point out when people aren't doing their jobs well and point out where that they can improve. Because in my eyes, I'm there to make them do their job as effectively as possible. You want to create great outcomes for the the, the goal. The, exactly. And you've you got a passion for the pre people you care about and the, and the outcomes that we're all going to do, create together, right? Yes. So how do I just have to be paying attention to my ratio always as, a, as easy as that? Or, or what's been your experience? The simple answer is, yeah, pay attention to the ratio. If you, you give people a high enough ratio, they can actually hear what you're saying otherwise. There's lots more nuance. I mean, in your leadership style, is your leadership style commanding? Is it affiliative? Is it, you know, like democratic? Are you a coach? Are you visionary? Are you mixing those? Are you using those at the right time? But even through all of those, the ratio matters. It's the ratio stupid, I like to say. Uh, ratio matters more than anything. But here's the thing. We didn't really get a chance to get into this too much, but for social cohesion, people, here's the biggest ego hack there is. For social cohesion, people become what you tell them they are. So you're being programmed by other people and advertising every moment. And so am I, because they're telling us who we are. Uh, mm -hmm. Imagine a world where we're all born and we don't care about what other people think. That's a sociopath. We don't want to be in that world. We want everybody to care what other people think. We want them to be born being tormented by what other people think, wondering well, what are other people thinking about me. And that's a world where we all become what other people tell us we are. That's a world where we become the five people we spend time with. It's the same thing. It's really, we become what those people tell us they want us to be, I believe. Wow. So if you want to change who you are, you're going to have a three times greater chance of changing yourself if you get your friends to tell you that you are already the person you want to be. Your biology will instantly react and you will become that. And there's plenty of ways I can go and talk about the science of that. It works. It just really works. It's amazing how well it works. Uh, so what you can do is you can do it actively or passively. You can ask people, who do you want to be? Literally. And sometimes they'll tell you, this is who I don't want to be. And try to get out of them who they want. What's the positive version of that? So that's a little harder, but get that positive version. And you can do that for yourself too. And then have other people tell you, hey, I see you as this person. You said to me yesterday, you're not getting enough done or you're not, you know, you have anxiety or whatever. I see you as cool, calm and collected. I see you getting shit done every time, all the day. In fact, here's some evidence of that. I was impressed by that. You're doing it. That's you, right? Instead of, I could come to you and say, oh, I heard you don't, you know, you're feeling a little anxious and depressed. And then you're like, then I'm like, oh, why is that? Now I'm asking you to invent more reasons why you're anxious and depressed. It doesn't work very well. 
You're just, just, just it digs you deeper. In fact, it's better to, for me to say, why are you not anxious about that? Why are you cool, calm, and collected? And tell me reasons why you're cool, calm, and collected. In fact, this is what I saw. I see you as cool, calm, and collected. Or at least I see you as becoming cool, calm, and collected. The reason it, I can explain the reason it works real short because we don't have a lot of time left, but the reason it works is identity is like a snowball. If whatever you have in your identity, your pattern matching machine, your neural network, it will find more of that. Whatever is in our environment, the things that match our identity come to the surface more than anything else. That's normal. That's good. Things in our identity, they pop into our awareness. Oh, I like Saab automobiles. Everywhere I go, see Saab, Saab, Saab. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I wanted to ask you about self-talk because everyone looks in the mirror yeah. and says, oh, maybe I don't really like this uh, little couple extra pounds around my waist or, oh, I got a wrinkle coming. But how can you improve that ratio for yourself? Great question. So where it comes to self-talk, you can be talk- talking to yourself in a couple of different ways. You can use a stick. Oh my God, I don't like that wrinkle. What's going on there? Uh, like uh, bad. You should work out more, you know. That doesn't work as well because you're basically reaffirming that's who you are. You're somebody with wrinkles. You have those wrinkles. That's You're going to look everywhere you go in the environment, you're going to look and find that. And it's going to be a lot harder. It's not going to be as resilient. You know, when you've got strength, you can use that a little bit and you can get some distance with it. But if times get tough, you'll fall, it, it, it'll fall apart. So that's not, a very, that's not a very great method. What's stronger is you're somebody who loves to exercise. You're somebody who loves exercise and loves being outside. You're somebody who loves thinking about different health techniques. Because whenever when you say that, you're going to find all the evidence of that being true. If you say, you're somebody who is fat and wrinkly, well, you're just going to find evidence of that being true. It snowballs. So let's call it one unit of effectiveness when you have self-talk. It's more units of effectiveness. Let's call it two units of effectiveness if you talk and say it in front of other people. It's much more, uh, even greater, let's say four, five, three, four, five, six units of effectiveness if somebody else tells you that that's who you are. You're somebody who loves health. I'll get you cutting up carrots. That's great, you know? Uh, you're somebody who loves being outside. You just got back from a run. Look at you. Great. You know, I could say nothing, but when they walk in the door, smile. They're great. You're somebody who goes for a run. You're talking to the limbic system, not good job on the run. Good job on the run. Way different. Two different systems you're talking to, right? Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially, you know, if you have a partner or a coworker who you really like it when they do something. Well, then if you really compliment them, then they may continue to do that because that is direct positive feedback. That's great, Casey. Oh, I love like even if I'm not quite sure, I think that this is where somebody's going with it. I might even just say, Wow, I think I'm pretty sure I see you as somebody who's really loves exercise and is just like super positive about like eating good and all this stuff. I noticed this, you're cutting up carrots and you went on a run the other day. Is that true? Are you that person? And then nine times out of 10, they're going to say, yeah, that's absolutely true. You, you know me, you got me. And I'm like, I thought so. I wasn't sure, but I'm checking. Sure. And I like when you gave the example, at first you said, oh, tell me why you're not anxious and depressed or whatever you said. But then you, then you skip that out because your brain actually just skips over the not as I understand, and goes to anxious and depressed. And you yeah. you actually said, oh, tell me why you're so calm, cool, and collective. And that seems to be so much more effective. It's so clear because it's hard to find where you want to go. You know, If you say, I'm not, I'm not anxious and depressed, I mean, then you got to look for the patterns in your life that are anxious and depressed and then avoid them. 
right? Rather than looking for the patterns that will come and collect it. So it's better to give someone that identity that's a positive identity because then they're going to get where they want to go is being cool, calm, and collected. You can't get there by being not depressed. It doesn't work. All you're right. doing is just avoiding depression, whatever that is. That's way different than being cool, calm, and collected. And Casey, before I let you go, I did want to ask you mm-hmm. about something that is so imperative if you were going to use these techniques, and that's trust. And I know this is a big topic of yours. It's big, of course, in the tech world with Facebook and our privacy and our data. And it's big in business, but it's also very big for just trusting yourself and gaining trust with the people around you who you are using these techniques with and and trying to be as genuine as possible. So what's your take on, on trust? Yeah, so especially for these techniques where we're, we're literally, I mean, some people, some people could call it manipulation. Like we're getting into people's egos and identities. That's heavy stuff, right? And it has, it's powerful things, just like anything that can actually have an effect. It's powerful, right? So the way I like to say it is it's ethical. You need to be ethical about it. Now, advertising is already doing this to us. So I think it's important to, to get the word out about how this works. What is the ego? How does it work? How is it affecting us? Of course, people can use anything that's powerful for you know their own gain. So what I would say is to know if you're doing it ethically is ask for permission. There's two ways to do it, I would say. One is passive and one is active. One, you if you're doing it in, an, in a passive way, I think you can be, be less permission-seeking. It's like anytime someone says, wow, you went on a run, then you respond and say, yes, I did. Thank you for recognizing that. It really helps me so much when you recognize that because it makes gives me the energy to want to go on a run tomorrow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, right? Thanks for thanking. Then you're just looking for times in life when people are encouraging you in the direction you want to go. Thank you so much for recognizing that, right? Emotionally, thank you. So that's that's totally, I think that's very, that's a reasonable thing to do. I don't think that we're causing any, causing any moral problems there. Uh, it gets a little trickier when you start to tell people, hey, I see you this way. Somebody could use this manipulation. I hope that people would never do that. Um, I'm sure people will, but hopefully they won't. But if we get the word out there enough about how this works, maybe that won't matter because people will recognize it. But the way this works is you say, hey, there's this deck. I saw it. Casey told me about this deck. I think it might be interesting to try. Want to try it with me? Read the deck. Let's talk about it. Now let's do it. Now, in that case, you might be thinking, well, if everybody knows the trick, it doesn't work anymore. I mean, it's, now it's, the game's up. Not true. So as we've been talking about multiple brains, you've got the neocortex, you've got the limbic system. Now, so if I sit here and I say, even though you know it's fake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to criticize your horrible blue shirt. I can't believe you're wearing a horrible blue shirt like that. It's, it's, I mean, the way that it's unbuttoned like that, I can't. And the way that it's curving over like that, your hair is in front. I don't. And I mean, really, is that what's this thing in the background over there? I'm not sure about that. And I mean, green boards behind you. Really? You're, you're, are you putting yourself in front of a green screen? Is that what you're trying to do? You know, I could go on and on all day about the things I don't like about this whole setup here. But I've totally invented them. And it doesn't matter because your neocortex knows how ah, you're like laughing. That doesn't matter. But the limbic system feels like, Ugh, I want to get out of here. It doesn't feel good. Right. Two different brains. Like you said, you can't you can't hear a knot. It's the limbic system that can't hear the knot. All it can hear is something very simple. It's like I have a person, they're looking at me, they have a bad look on their face, and they're like, uh, 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 don't like it. Don't like it. So that's it just keeps track of feedback ratios based on really rudimentary concepts and like it or don't like it. So same thing. I, uh, if I go and I'm like, oh, you want to be cool, calm, and collected? Do you want to be running? Do you want to be cutting up carrots every day and, and salary? Even though you know, 
I don't know if you do that stuff. Hey, the other day I saw you doing these things. It was great. I really appreciated how you uh, got in there. You just, you're a master slicer on those carrots. And, you know, look at how sweaty you are getting back from that run. Did you go an extra mile? And I really do like this microphone a lot. It's, um, I, I like gold and I like the uh, logo there. I can't really see what it is. It's a little blurry, but I like the look of it. It looks pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I could just go on and on about just made up things. And then suddenly you feel like, oh, yeah, great. Mm. And so you can try this with your friends. Try it. Like give, give a whole bunch of negative compliments or sorry, negative criticisms. Use negative tonality, negative look in your face. Just make them up. And you'll see that it's two different brands. And you can see, watch it affecting both differently simultaneously. And when you do it in succession, you really feel it. That's great. I think just looking in the mirror and trying it yourself. I'm sure if we ran back this video, you would see when I was smiling when you were complimenting me just because I was getting positive feedback regardless of what you were saying. Yeah. Could you feel it? Could you feel it when I was doing that? Oh, for sure. And then once you started going down your your negative Nancy talk, I might have been smiling because I was laughing towards the end when it got ridiculous. But yeah, totally, totally. My limbic system was was on to what you were doing there, Casey. So yeah, so your your neocortex might know it, but it doesn't matter. Your limbic system, like you said, can't figure out that I I don't don't like you. Yes, right. If I say I don't don't like you, I'm saying I like you. Your limbic system, but it doesn't hear that at all. It just says. Maybe it hears I like you because it doesn't hear the don'ts. But anyway, that's just a little primer. Some of the other things I must shamelessly plug my, my startup uh, Upstock because that's what I'm working on and my, my team would not be happy if I wasn't doing that. Uh, I need to make sure we're getting that out there. And you know, Upstock being about uh, Fortune 1000 equity and you get, to, you get to get the equity that Fortune 1000s are using and it creates alignment. So that if you have a start anything from a startup, even if you're pre-formation, all the way up to hundreds of employees, your leadership becomes that much more potent, that much more powerful when people people can believe you when they know you're aligned. Like if they know that you have the similar similar financial incentives or the same ones, then when you say as a leader, let's charge up that hill, people are like, yeah, let's charge that, let's charge up the hill. I believe what you're saying, but if they're not sure if you're really in it for that with them in the same way. You say charge up the, the hill and they look at each other and be like, hmm, what's really going on here? And so your leadership is, is quite diminished. So equity is one of the best ways you can create alignment, uh, really powerful. Not only the, the money part of it, but just the, the alignment signal it sends uh, that you care and everybody's in it together. So I'm just super excited to bring this to the world so that startup founders and startup workers and people and companies that are suffering with stock options can not suffer anymore. And people can work together and like, solve some of the problems that we need to solve in this world before short, before it's too late, so to speak, if you're one of those thinkers. so That's great, Casey. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, we will, again, link that up, uh, Upstock on under30co.com, because we have definitely a lot of startup, small business people listening in on that. Our travelers, of course, uh, at Under 30 Experiences, most likely already are aware of couch surfing, and you've built a worldwide network through trust. So yep. there's nobody better to to take these oh, lessons team, from than you. Yes, please. My team wants to make make sure that I say, uh, if you want to get a 2019 equity update, like what's the equity guide? Where's equity going in 2019? Upstock.io slash podcast. So there you go. All right, we'll, we'll link it up. Not to worry. Casey, and where can people find you online and get in touch with you and in, involved in your community? Yeah, Kate, you can hit me up on Facebook. It's best to go to caseyfenton.com and just set up for my email. So every once in a while, like when I'm like, oh, I'm going to send out my book, then I'll send you an email uh, or something. 
<laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, Casey, right. thanks for being on. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate your time so much. Enjoy Iceland. Yes. Thank you.